Okay. So this week's parsha of Ayeshev begins with dreams of Yosef Atzadik, and it ends with the dreams of two ministers that were incarcerated, but they were ministers for Parai, the Sar Hamashkin and the Sar Ha'ifim. And the way the Rebbe frames it, we're speaking about personal goals, that Yosef's descent to Golos came about through dreams. Of course, it came about through many other things as well. But the way the Torah organizes the story, uh, there was envy or jealousy for other reasons as well. But the Torah, the big, the story, the way it's written, is that Yosef had a dream, and then he had another dream, and he shared it with his brothers. And the content of both dreams were the same, which is that he saw himself in his dream as being a master, a leader over his family. And the Torah writes, and that aroused kina, jealousy, and which ultimately led to terrible, terrible mistakes and bad choices, which led to his exile. The Parsha ends by giving us the seeds of his personal redemption, which was the dreams that were had by others to whom he was already a renowned dream interpreter who accurately interpreted those dreams and that leads into next week that when Pade later, two years later, had the dream or had dreams, um, Yosef was brought to Pade and that was the ultimate redemption of Yosef. But again, framing it that Golus began through dreams, because of dreams and the redemption also began and comes about through dreams. So there's a correlation between Golus and Geula. It's crazy. The entering of Golus and the exiting of Golus with a dream. <coughs> Actually, there is a Pasuk that we say, uh, we should say often. We say it on days in which there is no Tachnun before we bench. <coughs> right? Shiram Alois. In other words, that when we were in Golos, when we are re- when we will return from the exile, looking back, one of the ways that we are going to frame Golos experience is by saying, oh, we were in a dream-like state. We were in a dream for the Gauls or for Gauls, the Gauls, 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 Gauls. In other words, the entry to Gauls and the exit of Gauls has is very much connected to a dream. Now, let me share a couple of, a few stories and, and some very, very deep ideas that the Alter Rebbe writes explaining something deep about a dream, giving an insight, what does it mean, that exile, and we are all in exile, is very much like a person who's in a dream. And that actually understanding this properly will empower us to use the dreamlike state to go out of Golos, as Yosef went out of Golos through dreams. Ubehegdem, first of all, in as much as over the last couple of years, um, some great psycho analysts um, were really um, into the appreciation of a dream good for them. The Torah gives a lot of credence to dreams. 
it's a part of life that we we should give a lot more importance to. And even though, on one hand, we do have statements in the sages that tell us that ain chalamot beli devarim betelim, that you don't have dreams without something in there that is inconsequential. It's not like all of the dream is exact, but that's only telling us that there is some something of the dream that is inconsequential. Just for this, a little cute story. One of the great fundraisers in the Chabad Lubavitch world, in the headquarters in, in New York by the Rebbe, was a Jew now of blessed memory called Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. He was also a great Hasidic teacher. He gave the Shiurim of Tanya on radio. He was a personality. He was a Polish Jew, a Lubavitcher from Poland. And he, for example, personally, he used to fundraise in the 40s. He used to go to Brazil. In Brazil, in Rio and Sao Paulo, the house that all of these religious fundraisers stayed at was by my grandparents because it was kosher. And there was no one else that they really felt that they can have come. Going back in their 40s, it was this Rabbi Weinberg that convinced my grandparents to send my uncle and my father. My father was 14 years old on a boat for three weeks with him from then Sao Paulo to the Rebbe. And was he, 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 he traveled a lot and he was extremely successful. For people that live in Kron Heights, Ocean Parkway, Lubavitch Yeshiva, they were built by him. Um, the Yeshiva was supported, the Yeshiva in 770 was supported by donors, but he was like the link. And then there was a certain type of private fundraising that went on since the times of maybe the Baal Shem Tov, certainly from the Alter Rebbe, that's called Maimod. Mem Ayin Mem Dalet. Mamod, or the way Ashkenazim pronounce it, Maimod. Maimod. Maimod, it comes from the root of standing, Amida. And we wanted to have the merit to support the Rebbe's household. And that tzedakah was called Maimid money. Maimod with a Dalit. Amod. Ma'amad. Ma'amad means to support of, maybe even in modern Hebrew, when you're supporting someone. Like, how, how are you standing? And that's a special tzedakah. It's very private. No one ever went around asking, really. Like, you knew who to give it to. Most cities had a designated person. Here, Rabbi Reichig of blessed memory was a designated person. And people wanted to have the schus of having a part in whatever that was. That was a special thing. So this... I know it, it, it can sound like an ego story, it's not. The Rebbe was having an audience with this Rabbi Weinberg, who told the Rebbe, I had a dream. Yeah, and in the dream, the previous Rebbe, this was many years after he passed away, came to this Rabbi Weinberg and told him that it's already time that you should spend a little bit of effort when you're going to fundraise, to fundraise for Maimed. So he, he basically, he wanted to know from the Rebbe whether it's a real dream. The Rebbe told him, that was the response that the sages say, that there isn't a dream without some devarim betelim. The word little, <coughs> you should do a little bit in mind, but that's the devarim betelim. Do a lot. But let me, let me, let me go back, I'm gonna share a few stories. These are, these are special Chabad stories. And I'm going to make a point with it. And then we'll come back to our halaymas. Uh, 
I know that in, in, in Yiddish, in slang, when a person is fantasizing about some things that will never happen, you tell them, ah, chaloimus, like you idiot. That's a very bad uh, expression because, no, 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 chaloimus are very, very significant. But let me say like this. The, the previous Rebbe passed away in 1950, and, and the previous Rebbe had two son-in-laws. There was a, a year in which, at least for people that were not in the inner, inner circle, people didn't know what will be. People that are not Hasidim don't understand the dilemma. People that are in Hasidim are in the worst <coughs> dilemma. A Hasid doesn't know how to live without a Rebbe. This is going on since the times of the Baal Shem Tev. And that's especially true in the 1950s when everyone was an immigrant. Most people, they were immigrants. And the reason why they went to New York, why would a Jew from Russia go to New York? A Jew from Russia would go to Israel. He went there because to be with the Rebbe. And, uh, and, and it, was, it, was, it, was, it was the end of our world when the previous Rebbe passed away. People wanted for our Rebbe to take that position. He insisted that it's not him. In the beginning, he used to tell people that if you will continue with this insistence, I'm going to disappear. I'm going to run away. You're not going to find me. So people stopped insisting with him. But there was a three weeks before the first yard site, which turned out to be the day in which the Rebbe accepted that, that responsibility, that position, <coughs> there was a chassid by the name of Shloyma Aren um, Kazarnovsky. If you come from a Lubavitcher family, I'm sure you heard that name. In all of the pictures, of the older pictures of the Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe, I wish I had one here, you can see him. He's a happy looking Jew with a nice big white beard. And he was very close to the previous Rebbe. He was very close to the Rebbe. He comes to 770 on the day of the passing of the Alter Rebbe, Chavdal Tevis. The Rebbe became a Rebbe Yutshvat. We're speaking about three weeks before there was a big change. Another just little nuance. Many of us went to 770, which is the Chabad Lubavitch headquarters. That building was bought by a Jew by the name of Kramer. It's funny, we have one of his grandkids here living in our neighborhood, belonging to our shul. It was bought by Sam Kramer. <laughs> I was by the bris of Sam Kramer. People don't understand how these people, they were how instrumental they were. 770 used to be a asylum for people that were mentally not well. We say, nothing really changed. That's our joke. And uh, it was the only building in the neighborhood that had an elevator. That's basically why they bought it. Because the Friedrich Rebbe, who had MS and who was paralyzed and who had already by then two strokes and had other ailments that people don't know, doctors used to say that since the early 40s, by the laws of nature, such a person cannot be alive. They couldn't explain how he's even living. But he couldn't move, so they needed an elevator. So they found, they got, there was like a hospital, so there was an elevator. So they bought that building. And um, so the, the way it works, it's a three-story building. The so-called basement did not exist then. It's like a bomb shelter, the basement with pillars. It's like the, the, least, the least attractive shul in the world and the most beautiful shul in the world at the same time. And par- parenthetically, that now that we're knocking down the, the, the garage, I think the garage will be by far the most beautiful shul we ever had. The new shul with marble, with alagutazachin. There's something about the... Where? Right now, our garage with the wires hanging and it's cold. And the heaters that if you stand up too tall, you burn your hat. Yes, it's like, it's unbelievable. So, so the Rebbe came with the Rebbetson. The Lubavitch was poor. 
the Rebbe got a job shortly afterwards. The Rebbe worked for the U.S. Navy. So where did he move into? So just 770, when you walk up the few stairs, I know that now it's not woman-friendly. It was very woman-friendly. The whole Crown Heights was like 10 Lubavitcher families, 20 families. It was a very small Lubavitch community. It was a huge religious community. There was no Borough Park. Borough Park was Crown Heights. Mamish, that was the, if you made it, you went to Crown Heights. It was considered like Beverly Wood. And and you walked up the steps. The You walk up there. If whoever remembers 770, there's a little room to the right. That was the office. The next room was the Beis HaMedrish. The Beis HaMedrish for the men is this size, if this size, maybe smaller than this room. That's the headquarters. And then there, there was a window. And then there was a small room, the ladies' section. After many years, they covered the window with bookshelves. Women don't go that much upstairs, if ever. I know Sheva Brachas are there. I don't know if, if you got married in Crown Heights. Uh, so, anyways, that was the show. <clears throat> then when you go up the steps, whoever knows where the Rebbe's office is, to the left, the Rebbe's office has a little bathroom in it, a tiny bathroom. People that go into the, the Yechidah's room, they don't even notice that one of the panels is a, is, a, is a door. And it goes into a bathroom. When the Rebbe and the Rebbe came, that was their apartment. The Rebbe moved in there with his Rebbe their apartment was a room and a bathroom. That was their dining room and kitchen and sleeping room. And and during the day, the Rebbe used to work there for the work that the Friedrich Rebbe asked them to do. Can you imagine? So there was a bed there. And and Khadikov would go in there, like zero privacy. His wife, the, the daughter of the Friedrich Rebbe, would go upstairs to be with her mother. To go with the mother-in-law. No, her mother. It was just it was not it was not a comfortable living setting and it turned out to be that that became the Rebbe's room and after they uh, however long it took I don't know that detail a few months a few years when they rented an apartment on President Street uh, the Rebbe remained the Rebbe worked there when the Rebbe became a Rebbe that was his main Yechidas room many years later when the Rebbe's wife passed away he moved back in there yeah. people say he moved back in there to be close to his wife also that's where they began there that was the beginning for them. The Rebbe had a bed in there, the Rebbe had his desk in there, and the Rebbe, that's it. And he, he stayed at 24-7. So what am I saying? So that was his office. And the Rebbe had a very open-door policy, I know even from my father, that anyone walked into his office. When he became a Rebbe, he asked people to do him a favor, to knock on the door before. You know how difficult it is for you to do work when people feel that they can just walk in on you any moment. That's what people did the whole time. You had to open the room, and, 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 and he walked into 770, and he walked into the Rebbe's room, and he says, Rebbe, I had a dream. No, what's your dream? Oh, so I want to say, like, is that the second story? Anyone who went to the second story here? Huh? That's the second story of 770. So I think we have to make a trip for the for the couples. It's so special. You walk, it, it, there's gates now. You walk up. Where the Tzemach No, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess so. When you walk up the stairs or the elevator, mm-hmm. they put security in only in the 80s. Until the 80s, anyone could have just walked upstairs. So there was an apartment. That apartment was a Friedrich Rebbe's apartment. There is a dining room, which is I don't know half the size. This the table like this a table, all of the Fabrengans were in his dining room. That means the Friedrich Rebbe was so not physically well, he couldn't even go downstairs to, to Fabreng with the Hasidim. He davened in his apartment. He, he, he couldn't move that much. People would go upstairs. So you had a table, 
the people, the lucky few elders sat around the table. The Friedrich Rebbe sat at the head of the table. To the Friedrich Rebbe's right was his older son-in-law. To his left was the Rebbe. And then the elder Hasidim. And then the Bachram used to go in there. And 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 when it came to special Lubavitcher days, like Yotas Kislev, like Chavdala Tevis, like Yotshvat, everyone wanted to go. And the doctors would say that you can't have too many people in there. He won't be enough air for him to breathe. So who stood guard by his door? His eldest daughter, Hannah. She had a lot of courage. She gave my father a slap. Like he was the bar, he running upstairs. If you imagine, he was probably 15. If he was, he was 14 or 15. But Rebbe's daughter, people were intimidated. She was an intimidating woman. And she, and, and she didn't want people in there. So the first guy beyond the number of the doctor, he, 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 my father says he thought his tooth fell out. She gave him a, she gave him a slap. And my, my, my father got beaten by his parents, these crazy people, God forgive me, Holocaust survivors, Mishogoyim. So he's not, not familiar to that. Like he told me, wow. And it says it made so much noise that there was a pause in the room. That's a small story. The Rebbe stood up. The Rebbe had a kapata. The Rebbe, wore, the Rebbe dressed very modern. But for special Lubavitcher days, he wore his long coat. The Rebbe opened up his kapata. Like, how do you fight with your sister-in-law? You can't. The Rebbe put my father in his, in his kapata. <laughs> how beautiful is that? And that's how he saved my father from Chana. What is she going to do? She's going to hit the after, Rebbe? After she slapped him? Yeah. In other words, he was going to fly out. Now, now that he got the slap, my, I think the Rebbe felt he earned his right to be there, and he brought him in there. So anyway, so he says that I guess that he that was the room. So all of these, all of these, my father's generation, when they go up there, they would remember how it used to be with the Friedrich Rebbe. And then the third story was the Rebbe's eldest daughter and son-in-law. They had the apartment upstairs, and the Friedrich Rebbe's Yechidus room was on the top floor. That's a magical room. That's like if you can get in there. Your mamish, you feel like you're in a different world. Stain, stain uh, windows with designs, figurines, not very rebel-like because you have to know the history behind the building. It was a hospital for people that had special needs and they wanted to create a, a very uh, pretty, not necessarily Hasidic pretty, but worldly pretty environment, like very strange. And anyway, that was the setting. So he tells the Rebbe that I dreamt that we were by a Fabrengen. Yeah. And, and the Friedrich Rebbe, in the middle of Fabrengen, looked at me, Shloyma Aaron, and he said, Shloyma Aaron, why is everyone depressed? So I told the Rebbe, we're depressed because you passed away, and there's no Rebbe. So the Friedrich Rebbe pointed, now he's to you, he's telling this to the Rebbe, and he says, I left you, and he said the Rebbe's name. So I told the Friedrich Rebbe all in his dream, Chaloimus. That the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe was insisting that the Friedrich Rebbe didn't really, really pass away. We don't see him. He's here. We, right? All of us crazy people, we're familiar with this talk. Okay, the Rebbe, that the Rebbe is here more than before. And he's demanding of us to be connected to the Friedrich Rebbe. And he told the Friedrich Rebbe, we don't know how to do that. We, we, need, a, we need a person we can talk to. So in my dream, the Rebbe turned, looked at you. Look how beautiful. And a whole Torah. When we came to, to the sea, it was the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, it was who knows what sea. No one knows what, where was Kriyas Yamsov. That's so funny. We don't know where it was. It was probably near Saudi Arabia, just Lahore. Like Taka by the Red Sea. Not, remember we learned the Red Sea and then people stopped saying the Red Sea. You know, the Yamsuf, the Reed Sea. 
Anyways, when we came to the sea, there was a moment when we were trapped, like by the laws of nature, we were trapped. The Torah writes. And we were like that for a whole night. And we were terrified. And at some point, Moshe Rabbeinu begins to daven. But it sounds like his davening was like he was shouting. How do I know he was shouting? Because it says in the Chumash that Hashem told Moshe that don't, al titzak Eloi, don't shout at me. Stop shouting at me. You ever get that? You're asking someone for something and you're so uh, hysterical. Why are you screaming? Yeah, God tells him, don't scream, stop shouting at me. Even God has feelings, like don't shout at me. Hello, I don't feel safe. He says, David al-Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Bnei Yisrael, v'yiso, and, they're gonna, and they should go. And that was the pshat, that he told him, just go. It didn't make sense, go where? So Nachshon ben Minodav said, go, he went, and he went, and the, the miracle happened. So in the Cholim, the Friedrich Rebbe told the Rebbe, Ma titzak elai, why are you shouting at the Hasidim elai, that they should be connected to me, to the previous Rebbe? Stop doing that. You, David al-Bnei Yisrael, you speak to the Eden, you teach them Hasidis, you become their Rebbe, v'yiso, and you will travel with them towards the great Mashiach. What a beautiful dream. So he tells the Rebbe, you're the guy. I dreamt it. So what did the Rebbe tell him? So the Rebbe told him that if I would have had that dream, I would have to take it seriously. But I didn't have that dream. You had that dream. If it would have been Emes, I also would have had that dream. And I want you to know that that when you, you or your children, when you learn at times in Gemara that a note fell from the heaven. This is an expression even in the Talmud. You have this a lot in the Kabbalah. What does it mean a note fell from the heaven? According to the, the Rashi, the classic, a note falling from the heaven means that there was a certain discussion in the amongst the Beis Medrash. There was something that no one knew clarity in. And in the next morning, many people dreamt the same dream. Because when many people have the same dream, Emes, more than your personal dream. I'll give you another Stama story about, about this. If the Rebbe wrote a journal for himself, look how beautiful, about all of the unusual uh, verbal interactions he had with his Rebbe, with the Friedrich Rebbe. This journal began from the first time he met him. And all of these things are printed now. And many of them are already starting to be translated into English. It's private. Like all of these strange stories, like Rebbe stories, the Rebbe wrote for him, for him not to forget it, in his Rishimus. And then after the Rebbe passed away, Gimel Tammuz, um, we began to, we found them and we began, so the, 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 from the earliest entries. Look, look at this, uh, not from this world. The Friedrich Rebbe called him in, he says, the Rebbe called me, and the Rebbe told me, I have regards from your brother Label. So the Rebbe had two brothers, one of them was killed by the Nazis, one of them managed to escape and made it to England and passed away in England. I have regards from your brother Label. So the Rebbe asked, so I said, I asked, it's all in, it's in first person, so I asked the Rebbe, did you get a letter from him? He said, no, 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 he says, I, I had a dream with him. And some of these things work, and listen to the, now Label was alive then. But that's how people would send regards to each other. Look how, and he said like this, he says that also that we, I dreamt, he tells the Rebbe, that we were by the Rebbe Rashab, the Rebbe was by his Rebbe, 
and there were a lot of people there. And my father, the Rebbe Rashab, looked behind his shoulder and saw your brother Label. And he asked me, who's this? And I told him that he's your brother and he's Levik's son. And then he says, ah, I remember him. And, and, and it, all, in his, all in the dream. And Label looked at the Friedrich Rebbe and he told him, please send regards to my, to my brother. And then the Rebbe Rasha began to teach Torah. He began to say something. And the Friedrich Rebbe was in a rush in that meeting with the Rebbe. So he began to share what Torah he heard. And he told him that, I, that we have to end this conversation. But you ask your brother Label will fill you in and all of the rest of the Torah. That means if Friedrich Rebbe knew that if he had that dream, Label had that dream, and Label was of the statue of the Madrega, that he would remember the dream. How crazy are these things? And he knew that, that, that whatever, I don't have time to finish. Ask, he'll get a letter from your brother, be more with details about the, about, about the toit of the Rebbe Rashaw. So that's Chaloimus. Now, the Alter Rebbe who wrote so many Maimonim, and they were, they were chosen, a few were chosen from many to go into the Sefer that we're learning through every week over here, Torah Oed, Lukote Torah. And the Alter Rebbe wrote a Maimir on dreams, one Maimir, and he says something, it's simple, it's not simple. It's simple and it's amazing. And, and the Rebbe spoke a lot about this Maimir, and just explaining how this concept will help us get out of exile. What's the difference between Maimir and Sefer? That when the Rebbe would teach Toino, there was a certain type of, let's say, um, detachment from this world that the Rebbe would get into, which you can visibly see that the Rebbe is different. The Rebbe would have his eyes closed. The Rebbe would tie his 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 left uh, hand on his chair with a with a kerchief, and every Rebbe had something in which they bound themselves here, almost as if that if they're not going to tie themselves here. They're going to gravitate away from here. And uh, when the Rebbe got a heart attack in 1978, I think this is a story that we hear every year now when we make a Rosh Chodesh uh, Kislev. So the Rebbe's main cardiologist, uh, Dr. Weiss, he says that in the beginning, when the Rebbe began to fabring after he began to recover, they were against these gatherings. And indeed, when the Rebbe would speak, they had something connected to his heart and they were monitoring it. And he was in 770 in the crowd. He says he had a little thing that's already in the late 70s. There's real technology then. And he was looking down and he would see the Rebbe's heartbeat. And he says there was more than once that he almost stopped the Rebbe. <clears throat> there was a video, I don't know if you saw that. I was there in the middle of the Fabreng and the Rebbe's going like this. It looked so strange to me. There were many doctors looking out for the Rebbe's health, and the Rebbe was telling one of those doctors that my pulse is good. He was showing him, like, I'm good. Stop worrying that much. But in the beginning, when he would speak in public, it would it would change his heartbeat. It would put stress on him. And Dr. Weiss says that, especially that when the Rebbe said a mimer, his heartbeat was perfect, and he was shocked. 
he would, th- he would think that when you get into a much deeper place in your mind and you close your eyes and you exert yourself, it would take the biggest toll on the body. He says that Rebbe's heart was perfect when he would say a mimer. He was different. He was not here. You can see Ruach HaKadosh. I don't know how to describe it. If you have to watch a video of the Rebbe talking, I watch a video of the Rebbe saying a mimer. Okay. So what, where, where was I going with this? That... that um, the Alter Rebbe wrote many Maimonim, and his grandson spent 32,000 hours. Hayyim <laughs> 32, just know what that means. In going through all of the teachings of his grandfather and deciding what should be in this book that we're learning from and what should be out of the book. So these are the choicest of Maimonim, and this is what he writes. But let me begin first with the Rambam. It's very good to hear these words because we, Chabad Hasidim, hopefully we are familiar with certain terms, even slang. We hear from our parents, we hear in school. If we learn, we should learn more. We hear from our books. Different people use different words for the same thing. And when you hear that, it's good. You see the same thing from a different side. You mamash understand it better. So I know I know the Chabad, Lubavitch words, words, words that are based on the teachings of the Arizal. I want to quote from the Rambam. And what you're hearing now doesn't contradict anything that you heard. It's just a different way of speaking about something. The Ramam writes that we have five souls. Not the five souls that you heard about in Kabbalah. And he goes from the lowest soul to the highest soul. The lowest soul is called Nefesh Hazon. Which means that all of the bodily functions that happen without any effort. The example he uses is that when you eat, are you making an effort to digest your food? You're not aware, you don't even know what's going on. Miracles are happening. That goes to, to the only thing that's not exactly in this category is breathing, just parenthetically. The reason why there's so much koyach in breath is because, like, make your heart beat quicker. Stop your heart. You're not doing it. That's the, you know, there's some power in our body. There are many things that are an automatic pilot that is connected to the lowest neshama. Breath is something that if you don't pay attention, you breathe. But we have the ability to be fully in control of our breath. Our heartbeat, if you think about something scary, you can maybe make it go quicker, but you can't stop your heart. Thank God. You can stop your breath. Stop breathing. Which is why the breathing is like a portal between the part of our functions that are unautomatic and the other part of our functions that are very conscious. But let's leave breath out. So you have... The nefesh that is making everything function, the parts of our body for which you make no effort. Above that is the mechanical nefesh. That's the first thing kids learn how to do. I'm talking about, the, you know, crawling, walking, touching, carrying. The next nefesh, according to the Ramam, is the nefesh that feels. Regesh. The fourth is called koya hamadama. Hamidame. Imagination. And we're going to stop and speak about that. And then the highest nefesh is the nefesh that helps us think. That's the Rambam's model. That which happens organically, that which happens, that which is very external, that which is inner feeling, imagination, and intelligence. Imagination is something that normally in our Hasidus, we don't read a lot about imagination. And the concept of imagination sometimes is even used as like halaymas. Like, 
Yeah, chaloimes, dream on, imagine. Like, don't fantasize. You're wasting your time. Hold on. Koyach Hamadama is a very big koyach that we have. It's a big power. And the Alter Rebbe says that when we dream, this is the words of the Alter Rebbe. Dafka because the seichel is resting, it allows our imagination to be free. When I'm awake, I can also imagine, first of all, there is some part of me that's constantly challenging my imagination. So I'm imagining, and then my seichel, if it's picking up something that makes no sense, will tell me, Meshugana, don't share with anyone what you're thinking because they'll know that I, what I know, that you're nuts. So there's a machlekes between the seichel and the imagination. When you're dreaming, there's nothing in your mind quieting your koyach hamadama. And now this is the next step, is that the dreams, you're not, you're not, you're not choosing what to imagine. There was some outer koyach, just say God, right, through a malach that took control of your imagination. No, another just words. When you imagine things, you are unable, it's impossible for you to imagine something that does not exist, but let me explain what that means. I think the best term that I heard, that I spoke a lot about this, to update it is called copying and pasting. If you never knew of something, if you never had a certain experience, you're not going to have it in your hollow. Maybe if you had it in a previous life, you can have it in your dream. If it's something that you don't know on any level, you, you won't be able to dream it or to imagine it. The, the unique of Madama is, is that you can copy and paste and put things together that in the world that we know of can never come together. Like the Gemara gives an example of a dream that you can dream or you can imagine an elephant going through a needle hole. Not that the elephant became little. Not that the needle is the needle from Oig Melech No, the needle is the needle. And the elephant is the elephant. And in your dream, an elephant can fit through a needle hole. In other words, the greatest paradox can happen, dafke in a dream. Opposites come together in a dream. Again, not opposites. When you have a dream and you dreamt about that you saw a person, just to know, that person was used by the Baal HaChaloimus, most time that you dream about a person, it's not about that person. You have to know what that person means. But all what the Koyach HaMadam is doing is, is that um, whoever's pulling the strings by the dream, they're taking images or ideas or thoughts or experiences or feelings and all of them, and they're just reorganizing it to convey a message. They have to, t- have to talk to you in your language. And it doesn't mean that the person or the idea... I would say that the person or the idea that you dream about is probably not the person in your wake uh, life. It's not that. But that person represents something. And the message that is trying to be conveyed to you needs something about what that person represents to you as that. The koyach of the dream is, is that it puts things together that would never come together in this world. Opposites can only happen in a dream. Another marshal that, that the Gemara gives. That in a dream, you can dream that there is a boat that's flying in the air. I know today it's a normal thing. That's called an airplane. But, in other words, you know a boat. You know a boat. 
you know a bird flying. A boat doesn't fly. In your dream, these two different things that in your wake life 2,000 years ago, if there weren't UFOs then, never existed, in your dream it could exist. And because of that possibility, if something needs to be communicated to you, so there's going to be some outer koyach who's going to be communicating something very important for you. What will it use? It's going to use your language, which is everything that you know, but it's going to speak your language by reorganizing it in the most disorderly way, even in a way where there is a contradiction. Seichel goes to sleep, your koyach hamadama is awakened, and that's even when we are awake, we can imagine things that can be. Yeah, because in my imagination, anything could be. But sometimes it comes from fear. Now, where the dream is coming from is not something that the Rebbe is speaking about. The Gemara acknowledges that some dreams, the Rebbe Rashab uses the words that just like when a person eats something that's very not good for the body, one of the koiches that God put into the body is that it vomits it out, gets rid of it. That every day we are ingesting from everything that we experience a lot, some of which is not good for us. So we need to vomit it out. One of the mediums that God gave us, that we use to get rid of something, is a chalom. So it's not coming from above, it's my garbage that has to come out. So if a person has a lot of fear, which would be a common, or shame, that will be experienced in your dream. And that's the way you're getting rid of it. You're processing it to get rid of it. So actually, all of these dreams are the healthiest things in the world. It's that you externalized, you got, got it out, got it out of your system. But that's one level of a chalom. There can be a chalom where there's something not coming from you out. You're not spitting it out, but you're receiving something. But the point that Al-Tareb is, and that's the latter is something which is very powerful, and it happens to all of us, happens to all of us. The Ramam speaks about prophecy. He speaks about 11, 11 madregas of prophecy. The lowest two is called Ruach HaKadosh. Ruach HaKadosh is that when you are awake, the first thing that comes into your mind is, is very, very uh, emistic if you can catch the first thought that came into your mind regarding anything. When you wake up in the morning? No. Oh. When you are encountering a dilemma, when you look at something, the first... Like an intuition? Yeah, that's Ruach HaKadosh. And everyone has Ruach HaKadosh. Then, the next, I think it's four levels, is dreams. Many levels, but a dream, a dream is a tool through which something greater than us, ultimately there's only God, is trying to communicate something to us. And it does it by using our imagination. So God is taking my language, he's taking my what all of me. He doesn't have to add anything new, but he's putting things together that, that rationally don't fit together. And there's a message there. Like how, how do these two things come together? It says the Alter Rebbe something very beautiful. That the reason why we compare the Golos to a dream, Hayinu Kechoilmen, is that in Golos, and this is something very negative, and this is something very redemptive, another paradox. By nature, by nature, we are almost unable to be hypocritical. Doesn't doesn't work. It means I can't be opposites. 
because it doesn't make sense. When a person on a spiritual level is awake by nature, they will never be hypocritical. Golus is a state that we are all in for almost 2,000 years, which allows us to live contradictions. So it used to be, and it will be, after Mashiach comes, that once I accepted a certain belief system, once I'm on a certain path, there will be certain things that will never come to me. In Golos, the biggest person can do the biggest mistake. And you ask, how is it even possible? How is it possible for the same human being to have a very godly experience and still to be open to and potentially to fall into something the opposite? How is it shayach? That's the definition of a dream. There's a certain seichel that's dormant. Certain type of seichel. I'm not talking about the logic that we call logic. There's a certain koyach that we have as human beings that is sleeping, became weak. And now it allows for opposite things to happen in the same person. So the Rebbe says something beautiful, coming back, that Yosef went into Golos because of a dream. Like just as an example, how can brothers sell their brothers into slavery? They were great people. You know, let's be honest. We 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 know jealousy. I don't know if you know, I know jealousy. People know jealousy, jealousy different levels. But they go want to kill, they kill your brother to sell him into a slave. Hard, hard to identify, and 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 they were great people. Every time I'm shocked, that person did that. Don't be shocked. That's goals. That's a phenomenon. Everyone has has contradictions, but there is a limit to the contradiction. Golos is the time in which there is no limit to the contradiction. The tragedy of that is, is that we're not safe with ourselves. We're not safe with ourselves. No one can say, I did that. I'm good. The upside of, of, of a dreamlike state, and the reason why a dream will get us out of Golos, is because it used to be that when some great mitzvah came your way, if it if you're not up to that level, don't do it. As an example, it used to be that people up until a certain age would never learn Kabbalah. You're not, you're not, you're not there yet. You didn't learn enough of the basics, or you're not mature enough, or whatever, whatever. And that was an emiss. It's not on your level. Don't reach beyond your level. When you are awake, there is the concept of don't reach beyond your level. The upside of a halum is that no matter where we're at, in the non-positive way, we in one moment have the koyach of being the greatest tzaddik. And we have the greatest power to do the greatest good. What was the name of that uh, molester? Chaim Walder. Uh, you think about it. There you go, figure that. that, that that's good, like a kind of contradiction. Yeah. The, the worst, and how many people did he help? Gaula, redemption is when he was caught. That's that's the way that redemption is. No, you can't you can't have it that way. 
So in the times of Geula, and it's almost natural. It's not like we'll have to pick a side. We 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 are we most of us picked the side already. It just doesn't help. You can have Yom Kippur, and then you can have uh, something right after Yom Kippur that's not good. Right? You can have unity amongst all the Jewish people, and then they can be uh, the worst machlaikas. These things can happen in Golos. I'm not saying it should happen, and God willing, it won't happen. Mm. But I'm saying that like we we. Where we lived enough to know that no matter how great the moment is, does it preclude something? No, it doesn't preclude because that's the definition of goals. And what do you do with that? That was the beauty of the Rebbe. What you do with that is, is that a yid has to tell themselves. And there's so many, so many stories. You know, it used to be, Mamash, it used to be that you're not worthy for this. Who are you, who, like almost like who are you to do it? Verbistu. No such a thing today. We, we, every person over here can mamash change the world for the better. Be'emes. And not the tzaddik. There was a beautiful Fabrengen last night. I want to just share two stories that brought, this, brought out this point very well. It brought out the point that Dafka, because we are in Golos, see, in the times of the redemption, if, we, if we're not worthy, we're not worthy. In the times of Golos, we're not worthy and we're worthy. So what? So what if I'm not worthy? I'm still worthy. And that is a good thing. And that inspires people to do good and not to tell themselves, who am I to do that good? This is a classic story that the Rebbe used to repeat that the Baal Shem was once giving a class. In his little base medrash people, you went to Mezhebush, who went over there? You went to Mezhebush, you went to a little wooden shul and there was a a goyish wagon driver whose wagon got stuck in the mud. These are normal people, right? And, and he needed to save his horse or save his wagon, and he needed help, he needed men. So he opened up the shutters of the shul, and he sees a bunch of adult men. So he calls out, Chevre, please give me a hand. Help me schlep my, my wagon out of the mud. And they told him a truth. They told the, 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 the goy, that we don't know how to do that. We can't. They couldn't. They were not trained to be, they were not wagon drivers. Like you ask me to change a tire, when we get a flat tire, big trouble. You, you, you don't know how to do it. And, the, and this guy told him in Ukrainian, could, you could. You don't want to. Okay. And the Balshemtev used to you repeat that a lot. Again, when they said they can't, they were not lying. It's not, not that I can't. I could, but I'm lazy. No, no, no. They didn't know how to do it. And he told them that no, that, that that don't make choices in your life based on whether I could or can't, because there are many things that you can't. That Golos is a time that the question is, do I want or do I not want? If I want, I could. That's very uplifting. Why? Because we're in a dream. Because when you are awake, you cannot fly. When you are dreaming, you can fly. Ah, you're not a bird. In your chalem, you can fly. Do you want to fly? Go fly. And on the other hand, what happens to people that accomplish big things? So the, there's a big, so the biggest challenge for greater people is that they become very arrogant. They become very self, uh, I don't know, self-centered. Like, wow, look at what I did. The beauty of a dream is that when people like us, when we, through us, big things happen, 
the very fact that we're not tzaddikim, it keeps us humble. That's something special. He shared a night. He also, just, I heard last night a nice story, not connected to Brazil. He knew this mamish firsthand. Not that long ago, in the 80s, someone went by the Rebbe, someone who lives in the Holy Land, and he walked by the Rebbe by dollars, and he told the Rebbe he's going back to Eretz Yisrael. His name was Nate, Rebbe Nate, and the Rebbe gave him a, a dollar. When people were traveling, the Rebbe gave them shliach mitzvah for Eretz Yisrael, and when he was walking away, the Rebbe, the Rebbe called him back, and the Rebbe told him, you're going to Brazil? Now, if you grew up in a Hasidic home, you knew to say, yeah, of course. What do, what do, you, what do you think? No, Rebbe, he said, Israel, not Brazil. It sounds the same. No, you don't. That if a tzaddik tells you, are you going to? He said, yeah. He was on the way to, was, this was on the way to the airport. And he went, and he called up his travel agent. That's when it was travel agents. There was no other online. He says, my ticket to Brazil is in the next week. I'm going today. He had no idea what Brazil. He didn't know. Oh, he says he walked out, and he asked someone, where's Brazil? <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good chassid. Going to Brazil? Of course I'm going to Brazil. And he went to Brazil. It's a beautiful story. And, 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 and so they told him to go to Sao Paulo. That's where you have more Yidin. He didn't know what he's doing there. He says he's there on the second day. He's walking down the street. And a woman <coughs> shouts at the Rebnate. And that was a woman that they knew from the old country. Whether they were from Ukraine or from Russia. From somewhere. A woman that he hasn't seen for 30, 40 years. And she was so that, that you're here. How are you? And, and he remembered the families. And she blurbed out that, that she has a son that's, that's involved with a non-Jewish uh, girl. And it's, he does, she doesn't know what to do. He's, he looks like she's going to marry her. So Rabnata told him, the Rebbe sent me here to help you. Mm. So how, how, like, what do you do? Like, you, go, you, you go do. It's beyond us. You see, he knew that, this guy. So the idea was that, they, that she's going to call a party from all of the guys, they were from Lita. And many people were from Lita. That she found someone, let's make a fabrengen. That will be the pretense, and he's gonna go around the party, he's also gonna meet her son, and it's on him. Story was that he went around there, and he met the son, and how you doing? And the son told him that he's involved with the shiksa. And he asked her, did you ever meet a Jewish girl that you are rejecting, marrying in before you're marrying out? That's what he told her. So he said, actually, many years ago, he knew a Jewish girl. So he says, before you marry out, what's, what's her name? He found out her name. It's a Meshuggah story. The guy is nuts. This guy nothing. He found out her name. This is at night. He, they got their phone number. And he called her, and she didn't answer the phone. Why would she answer the phone? Until it was before midnight. He's, he called her up, and he told her, he told her that his name is Rab Nata, and he's from Lita, and he wants to go visit her. And this Meshuggah woman said, yeah. And he went over with this guy. Bottom line is, is that they reintroduced each other. Ah, they remembered each other. And he says he slipped out of the apartment and he left. The way they said the story last night, whatever, it worked out with them. The point is, I don't know what happened at the end of that story. Story is, is that, is that. They it's, got married? That's how they make the story sounds nice. And they got married and they got married. That's what they could be. It doesn't, see, I don't need that to hear the end of the story. Happy Happy ending. Yeah, but and the point is, what I'm trying yeah, to say is... You're talking to the right crowd. Uh, yeah, you know, I think the more important message is, is that what this is the story of Golos. The story of Golos is, is that it used to be that if something is above my pay grade in Yiddishkeit, I wouldn't do it. In this world, in the Oilam Hazen, not Yiddishkeit, I should not go beyond my pay grade. 
if someone comes with a problem to me that I don't know how to have the solution, don't become a doctor. Can you imagine a surgeon, God forbid, that goes in there without a degree? He should have a, you know. In Yiddishkeit, in Golos, there is nothing beyond our pay grade. I, I know who I am, yeah. Who you are is Taka, and you can be also the opposite. And, and then when we do that, and when we have a blessing, because we're not the big tzaddik, what, oh, the, uh, he wanted to point out that this guy said, he had some, he had success on that trip, that he made a fabrengen and he shared with people, and he says that no one should think, that I'm delusional to think that I pulled something off. Says, this is completely beyond me. The fact that she met me on the street, that was not my chachma. That's because the Rebbe told me to go to Brazil. The fact that I that I understood that my mission is to get this guy reconnected to a Jewish girl, how do you do that? When you try to make this, it doesn't work, these formulas. How many terrible stories do we know? He says, I understood that I was given over shlichas. The shlichas is not mine. It's not my power. I did everything that I could. And when he was matzliach, this is not he is a tzaddik. This is normal. He had the humility not to take the credit in a wrong way. Zochisi, I had a hand in something great happening. That's goals. So that unique thing that we are able to do, mamash, anything in Yiddishkeit. We are able, if we want, that we can do it. And that after we do it, that we can remain humble because we're taking not the big tzaddikim. The fact that something so amazing came out of us, many people look at their kids and they take a wonder, how did they come from us? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Most of us have kids that are 50 steps beyond us. And so not to be arrogant. She, look, I raised my kids. In spite of us, somehow, our kids are rebelling against us and they turned out so amazing. That's the healthier way to look at it. That crazy, beautiful things are happening in Golos, even through simple people, which should give us the, if we want, if we want, we can do it. And when we do it, to be humble, all of that will bring the Golos. That will bring the Golos. There's nothing beyond me and don't be arrogant after you did it because it was beyond you. You did it because you're in a dream. In a dream, you can put opposites together. That's a beautiful word of the <coughs> Altarev. So the, the power to Abkhira is like a million times more than in regular reality. 100%. So that that's word. more a burden. That's a, that's a Hasidic concept. This word that you could, you could, you don't want. So the world is a dream? So then what's your dream? In other words, that you have the ability, not the, not the world, that I am in a dream-like state. I am in a dream-like state. I have, for bad, golus, and for good, the capacity of being the biggest contradiction. So many people use that for the bad. Just because I had this big ruchnizdik experience, don't disengage me from that. No, it's people don't know how to contain themselves properly. People can fall very quick but people can rise very quick. So to use the dreamlike state to tell ourselves that even though we're takanat sadikim, we're the, we're the pain in it, we can do crazy things and we'll do them and we'll succeed. And then to remain humble, to remember that it wasn't me. Look at me. Can't be something that came from me. It was because it happened through me. It's like in a dream, the biggest things can happen, the worst things can happen, like anything can happen, anything can happen for the good. In Israel, it's happening.